Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. This is our third week in the series entitled Integrity. Um, we're studying uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're studying the uh, chapters 5 through 7 of 1 Corinthians, chap- chapters 5 through 7. So far in this series, I've kind of taken the opportunity to share a quote as we begin each message, and so I don't want to break to tradition, and I want to share a quote with you today regarding integrity. And here's the quote for you, for you today. Wisdom is knowing the right path to take. Integrity is taking it. Wisdom is knowing the right path to take, but integrity is taking it. I encourage you um, to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to just land there today. So um, if you can just keep uh, your Bible open there, that way you can continue to refer back and forth to Scripture. Uh, We have it on the screen as well, but if you want to look back, it's easier if you have your Bibles open to that. Um, We're going to look at verses 12 through 20 today. And in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is still talking, and we've been talking a little bit about it already, but he is talking about sexual immorality. Um, Remember, Paul is writing to the church or to the believers in Corinth. These are the same people that he came uh, uh, like a year and a half prior to, and he was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to them, and many of them got, had gotten saved. Now I believe he's in Ephesus, and he's hearing about different things that they're struggling with, and he's writing this letter to them to give them some instruction, to give them some help. Uh, and these are, not, these are not the unsaved. These are believers, those who are trying their best to follow Christ. He's writing this letter to them. In week one, we spoke about a situation where a man was, and just to kind of clarify, I'm kind of looking around the audience, I think we're fine. Uh, This is probably a little bit of a PG-13 message, so uh, not because of anything that I say, but because of what the Word of God is dealing with. But um, um, in week one, we spoke about a situation where a man was sleeping with his father's wife. Everyone knew that was happening in the church, but the sin was basically being swept kind of underneath the carpet and wasn't being dealt with in a godly manner. And so the, the integrity that Paul was addressing within the church back last week or in the first week was, hey, you need to deal with the sin. The leadership of the church needs to, take, to deal with the sin that is taking place. Everybody knows about it. What are you guys doing? Don't just ignore sin. In this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, Paul is challenging the entire church towards a a sexual purity and integrity. It seems that the believers in Corinth were really untroubled by immorality in their personal life because sexual immorality was a part of their culture. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a second. But it had become a way of life for them. It's difficult not to compare Paul's culture to our culture today. 2,000 years separate, but man, the similarities are amazing. When I was growing up, for the most part, I have to tell you, it was honorable if you were a young adult and you were a virgin. It was like, it was, it was, it was like boy, this person stands for their morals, they're doing what is right, this is great. Doesn't say that there wasn't sexual immorality that was taking place back in my day. 
it was just viewed, if you had uh, saved yourself for marriage, it was still an honorable trait. It is not the same today at all. In today's culture, if a young person announces that he or she is a virgin, they are ridiculed and made fun of. Being a virgin is viewed as being foolish and reckless. The big question that is asked, how do you know if you're sexually compatible? That's the question in our culture today. Man, if, if, if you're not you know, having sex with somebody before they get married, how do you know that you're even compatible? How do you know that you're sexually compatible? And for me, that statement is a destructive statement that is destroying lasting relationships that God would love to have in people's lives. The reason why it's destroying lasting relationships is all of a sudden this relationship is now built upon sex instead of your love for God and your love for one another. All of a sudden it's being built upon sex. And you know what? Sex, if you build a relationship on sex, it will never last. It won't. You might find pleasure in that, temporary pleasure, but you will not find a lasting relationship when all of a sudden you build your relationship. So in today's culture, this is what we kind of build things around. And people are lost in that pro- process. We're going to talk, continue to talk about it. I know this is a little bit of a, of a, I don't know if it's a heavy subject, but it's sometimes maybe an uncomfortable subject to talk about. Let's start talking about it. Because God had a plan. Do you know that God created sex? We'll talk about more of that too. Sex should never be the foundation for a relationship because you'll never find a lasting relationship built on sex. Lasting fulfillment is discovered when you find your purpose in life. And as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, guess what? Our fulfillment is found in loving and serving Jesus by loving and serving others. By the way, like I said before, there's nothing wrong with sex. God created sex. But it was for the purpose of procreation and bringing greater intimacy, intimacy between two people, a man and a woman. It was, now catch this, I'm going to say it. It was never designed for weekend hookups, casual dating, or for friends who have decided to live together. And I know this, Pastor Tom, you preach a message like this, you're going to shrink your church. It's okay. This is God's church. This is God's word. Right? Amen? Do I have an amen? Okay, there we go. Got quiet in this place for all of a sudden. (laughs) Sex was designed for marriage, a commitment between two people. It was designed to complete a union physically, emotionally, and spiritually between a man and a woman. Jesus replied to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19, and I shared this verse, I think, a couple weeks ago. But I'm going to share it again, verses 4 through 6. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. As I share this message today, some might be thinking my statements are old-fashioned. Pastor Tom, you're out of touch with today's culture. You're no longer relevant. But I would state lovingly, if those are your thoughts, 
Maybe it's the Bible that's no longer relevant to you. Maybe it's not Pastor Tom. Maybe it's God's Word. You don't agree with what God's Word declares. We need to start wrestling with this stuff, guys. We need to start wrestling with it. What's in my life that's not, in, that's not in agreement with God's word? And I need to start wrestling. How do I get into agreement and into unity with God's word? Because I don't want to live in a divided world with God. Because where, where two are divided, guess what? We're not going to be able to be united together. You can't serve two masters. Yeah. Our sinful natures, just so you know... Every one of you I'm looking at right now, and I'm looking at my, if I can look at myself, I don't know if I can, but if I could, all of us, guess what, are equally as sinful. We, we all have sin. It's why Christ had to come to this world to die for our sins. But someone who is following Jesus has chosen to believe in God's word and to surrender their life to God's authority. They're not choosing to live by their own rules, but instead they have chosen to live by God's rules. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me. Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, then we should strive to follow his calling for our life. It's not that we're perfect. Our nature, without God's wonderful grace and his redemption plan, our nature is, is naturally drawn towards sin. But what we have to do is fill ourselves up so much with Jesus that all of a sudden sin no longer has that same pull that it used to have in our lives. And now all of a sudden Jesus is pulling us to a greater way to a relationship with him. Amen? Obeying God's word is not old-fashioned. It's just not. If you think that, man, I want you to wait, I want to awaken you today, it's not old-fashioned. In fact, the scripture says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. See, many in our culture today are missing the blessings of God because they're not willing to obey God's word fully. They're willing to kind of step their toe into it. I'll attend church on Sunday mornings. I'll come in and I know the songs really well. I come and worship. I'll come and sing. Uh, You know, I'll serve as a greeter. I'll do, but Monday through Saturday, that's my own time. God wants more of you. And the blessings of God is when all of a sudden we come in obedience with God. Guess what? God, the word of God says, I will pour out my blessings upon you when you obey me. There is a blessing given to those who choose to live under God's authority. Those who strive to obey God's word. Many people live outside that blessing. Let's not. Let's live inside God's blessing. Can I hear an amen on that? Let's live inside God's blessing. Okay, a few of you. I think the online audience was a little louder there, so. Okay, that's my intro. So now let's get into the message. I want to dive into Paul's teaching about that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, how many of you read books? How many of you like to read books here? Okay. Have you ever gone to the end of the book and read the last page first? I know you're not supposed to do that. But sometimes you're just like, I want to know how this book goes. I want to get to the end of the book. That's what we're going to do today, okay? In, these, in this chapter, we're going to go to the very last verse of this chapter. 
We're going to start with that, and then we're going to come back. Because I think in this last verse is where Paul really gives us what the purpose of his writing is about in this, in this section of the Scriptures. Let's read the last two sentences together. It says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. As I share on Paul's teaching in this passage of Scripture, I want you to remember that this is the main point that he wants you to understand. Don't walk away today missing the main point. The title of my message is, You Are Not Your Own. As a believer of Christ, you are not your own. You belong to God. Pastor, read your word, okay? I'm just going to leave it at that. See, you were created for a purpose, and when you choose to follow Jesus, you are choosing to surrender to his authority. He has bought you through his death and resurrection. The judgment and punishment of your sin is no longer your destiny. It's not your destiny any longer. Your destiny is now to glorify God. Your destiny is now to glorify the goodness of God. What's Paul's main point in this teaching? I want to, do we have that passage of scripture up? We do. I want to say this all together. Can we do this all together as a, as a body of believers, you online as well? Say this with me. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's our main point. With that in mind, let me read verses 12 through 14 to you today. Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and stomach is for the food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. This scripture might be a little confusing, but we're going to dive into this. Let me help you unpack this in just a second. Let's just take a moment and pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, our minds and our hearts be opened up to your word. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit right now. Lord God, to fill this place, to fill our hearts in such a way that, Lord God, as we hear your word, it will not fall on deaf ears, but God, it will fall on open hearts, open minds. And that, Lord, we will take your word and apply it to our lives so that we might change, Lord God, to be more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Paul writes some statements that appear to be popular slogans that were being used by the believers in Corinth. The first one is, all things are lawful for me. It seems like it must be a popular slogan that is being said there in Corinth. The second one is, food is meant for the stomach and stomach is for the food. Again, it's kind of like a popular slogan that is being used in this passage of Scripture. And here's a current example of a popular slogan, just to kind of give you some ideas. Have you heard the slogan, God helps those who help themselves? Have you ever heard that statement? God helps those who help themselves. When I was little, I thought that was Scripture. I thought that was God's word. It was being said, yeah, Pastor Hill, you know what I'm saying. Everybody was saying that God helps those who help themselves. And I thought, man, where is that found in Hezekiah 4, 6? Where is that at? I can't find that passage of Scripture. Some of you will get what I just said in a moment. But anyhow, guess what? That's not in Scripture. Another example that we probably have all heard, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. 
It's another slogan that's not found in Scripture. Yet many people believe it's a great statement to follow. But the Bible states the heart is deceitful above all things. Should we follow our heart if our heart is deceitful above all things? So following your heart is not a good choice unless you have hidden God's word in your heart. If you've hidden God's word in your heart, then guess what? It's okay to follow your heart. Because the book of Psalms states, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Have you hidden God's word in your heart? We are called to follow God's word. Here's the issue. What happens in my life when my desires conflict with God's word? What happens when all of a sudden I want to do this, but God's word says this? Houston, we have a problem. We have a situation. What are you going to obey? You know what I'm talking about. Everybody has had the same struggle. I am not the only one up here that knows what I'm talking about, right? All of a sudden, you're like, we have to learn to trust God's word and say, you know what? I'm not going to step outside God's plan for my life. I'm going to choose to follow God. Even if my desire, my sinful desire, wants me to go this direction. I'm going to choose to stay on God's path for my life. So Paul's addressing these slogans being used. The first one I mentioned, all things are lawful for me. These words may have been used by even the Apostle Paul himself when he was talking about or referencing certain restrictions that were found in the Old Testament, especially the ceremonial laws and dietary restrictions. Because of God's grace, Guess what? Paul was no longer bound to these restrictions of the Old Testament covenant. We now live under the New Testament covenant of grace that is provided to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Are you, uh, you're living under the New Testament covenant. But it appears that some of the Corinthians were using this statement for the freedom of having sexual indulgence. All things are lawful for me. Back off. Everything's lawful for me. Just back off. But Paul is telling the, the, them that Guess what? Christian liberty is not meant to be used as a freedom for ungodliness. Your Christian liberty, even though that you've been set free from from all the different legal regulations that were were part of Moses' law, you've been set free from those things, it doesn't mean that it lets you go out and lead a life that is ungodly and not glorifying to God. We have freedom in Christ, yes, but not for the purpose of being ungodly. The second slogan was, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. The argument that is being presented here is that God wouldn't have created us with sexual desire if it wasn't for the purpose of satisfying that desire. Why would he create it? Just like God created us for, for give us a stomach so that we can have food, we have a desire, you know, like right now I'm a little hungry. I have a desire. I'm thinking about, man, what am I going to eat after church today because my wife is not home and I know there's not going to be any food ready for me. So i got to figure out how to do that because my stomach is saying, hey, I'm hungry. Well, do I follow everything my stomach says? Do I follow every passion that my body says? If God created me with a sexual desire, do I just give it to anything that's an opportunity I have because that's how God created us that's their argument a hunger for sex is no different than our hunger for food so why not enjoy sex the same way we enjoy food God created both we live in a society that's living this way right now but as you know you can be hungry 
But if you eat the wrong food, you could be very sick. You eat the wrong mushroom and you can die. You eat meat that's been spoiled, that's been left out, you're going to get sick. Because why? It was not designed for you to eat in that way. The wrong food or food stored in the wrong environment was not intended for your body. God never intended for sexual relationships outside of marriage. I know that's new for some people here today, but it's true. It was always meant to be enjoyed inside the context of marriage. Paul argues that our bodies are much more important than food and sex. Don't limit your bodies to just food and sex. There's so much more than that. Our bodies were given to us to be used to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves. And it's important to note that Corinth, during Paul's time, was a hedonistic culture. It was about finding fulfillment through pleasure. If it makes you happy, if it makes you feel good, then the purpose, then pursue that pleasure. No matter what, pursue happiness. Follow your heart. In Corinth, finding pleasure, finding happiness was the main purpose. That was the main goal. But Paul is teaching to the believers in Corinth that your body was never meant to indulge in sexual immorality. Why are you choosing to use your body in that way? We're going to go somewhere today, so just fasten your seatbelt and hang on with me. Because then Paul makes this amazing statement. Powerful statement. He says, not only are your bodies meant for the Lord... But he makes a statement, but the Lord is meant for your bodies. What does that mean, Pastor Tom? Paul is revealing to them that your body is designed to be a temple for where the Spirit of God resides. This is what Paul eventually states in verse 19. We're going to go ahead and skip to the end of, the, of this passage once again because we need to get this last verse. You almost need to read this whole, this whole passage of Scripture backwards because I think it, in some ways it makes more sense. But Paul writes in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? God has given this wonderful gift. It's his very spirit. And he's given that spirit that into this body, into this temple, we, we house the very presence of God. Paul is going somewhere with the people of Corinth because they don't understand what the gift that they have. And they're just misusing their body in such a way that it's not glorifying God. Paul's fighting against the culture of the day. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we might die. They believed their bodies were basically given to them for pleasure. They were in a hedonistic culture. They really believed that their their spirit was kind of entombed in this body, and someday they'd be set free from that body. But until then, the body was just given to them for their pleasure. The idea that there was greater purpose for their body was a new insight. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees. I don't know if you remember this part of the story, but Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they thought Jesus was crazy. What are you talking about? This temple took years and years and years to build. See, 
They were talking, thinking about a physical temple, an actual building that Jesus was talking about destroying. But he was talking about his own body, his physical body, because he recognized that it was the presence of God that was in him. Because God sent Jesus, his son, and filled him with the power of his spirit to walk on this earth. He said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it back up in three days. And I am so grateful that when Christ died on the cross, three days later, he was resurrected once again. Because it gives each and every one of us hope. This is what Paul refers to in verse 14. He says, just as God raised Jesus from the dead, God will also raise us from the dead. Come on, somebody. So don't use your body as an instrument for sin when your destiny is heaven. Have you ever thought about that? If I'm actually heading, if I know my destiny, if I know where I'm heading to, maybe I should start preparing for that life now. See, Honor your body by honoring God. Let's look at verses 15 through 18. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see, we are... When we make the choice to follow after Jesus, we become one with Christ. We are walking with him. In the Greco-Roman culture, it was filled with sexual immorality. Historical documents record that it was as, it was as common as everyday living. Adultery, uh, fornication, uh, going out with the prostitutes, and all this stuff. Corinth was especially known for its immorality. In fact, the worship of false gods often included visiting the temple prostitutes who, present, who were representing their false gods. You'd go to the temple to have sex because that's what, the way you were worshiping the false god. It was a crazy time. You think we live in crazy times now? Think about that one. So we shouldn't be surprised that the new Christians that were there in Corinth are struggling with breaking away from their old culture. It was a struggle for them. And by the way, I might say at the end, but I just feel like I need to take a, a, just a moment of a break here real quick. If you've struggled with sexual sins, if, if, if you've given your body to the wrong things, if you've done acts that you're, not, that you're ashamed of, God's grace is there for you. That's what his grace has been set up for. It, it's to set you free from the things of the past, from the sins that you've done, or maybe from the sin that you did yesterday, whatever it might be. God's grace is there. It's not so that you can keep on sinning, though. It's so that you can start living righteously for him. But he's given us this grace because he knows we fail. And the grace is given to us. I keep on, I just feel like I need to take a break. The grace is given to us because, man, at some point in our life, he wants us to start walking with him and closer to him. And if it requires for him to give us grace so that we can find the forgiveness for our sins, so that our eyes start going away from sin and onto him, he is waiting for you and for me. So don't think that there's any sin that you cannot come back from. God's grace is there to cover you, to cover all your sins. Amen? We need freedom, folks. And we'll never find freedom from sin because of the law. We find freedom from sin because of grace. 
So back to the story. We're not, we shouldn't be surprised that the Christians were struggling with breaking away from their old culture. In 2019, we took a missions trip to Fiji, and some of the families that we were ministering to were people who had accepted Jesus, but they were still practicing Hinduism. They were struggling to let go of their old culture. In Hinduism, you, you, you serve many gods. There's millions of gods. So Jesus be, just became one of their gods. And so there was a culture that was, had to be broken in that. And when we were there in our, our trip on Fiji for missions, we actually got permission to go into a believer's home who was trying to serve Jesus, but yet he had all these idols. He had all these, these altars that were Hindu. And we went in and it was called a cleansing. We went through that house and we took out every false god that was in that house. We took it out and destroyed it. And then we went through that house and we prayed over that house. We anointed it with oil representing the power of the Holy Spirit. And we blessed that home for God's work. It was no longer a place of false gods. It was going to be a place of the one and mighty true God, Jesus Christ. Amen? So we went through it. This is kind of a similar thing that Paul is struggling with. He's working with people who have accepted Christ, but they're still living in their old culture. And they were still uh, in, in sexual immorality. He's having to teach the believers in Corinth that serving Jesus does not mix with sexual immorality. Do you not understand that you are now a part of the body of Christ? You can't take a member of Christ and unite it with sexual immorality. Again, it brings division in the body. As Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. When you choose to follow Jesus, you are choosing to become one with Christ his spirit dwells in you. So then you might ask, Pastor Tom, how should I respond to sexual temptation? Because you, Pastor Tom, you're married. You have a beautiful wife. You guys have been married a long time. You know, so, you know, you must not have any. We all have sexual temptations, by the way. So just, if you don't think, if you're that holy man, praise God. So how do we respond to sexual temptation? Because it's all around us. I mean, you can't get away from it. Social media, it's everywhere. How do we respond? Let's talk to, let's find out what the Word of God says. Amen? Is that a good idea? Look at verse 18. Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the, sex, but sec, the sexually immoral person sins against his or her own body. Run. Flee, escape. Don't stay in an environment that will cause you to sin. I'll say it again. Don't stay, this place has gotten so quiet. Don't stay in an environment that will cause you to sin. Remember, our vision is to create an environment to see what God can do through us. That's the vision statement for our church. We are to create an environment to see what God can do through us. It's not to create an environment where we can prosper in our sins. I think of the story of Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 39. If you remember the story of Joseph, he goes and he, and he is a, his master. He, he works for this man named Potiphar, an Egyptian uh, so, soldier up in the ranks. And he's working for him. And, and Potiphar notices that everything that Joseph does is blessed. Everything's increasing. And finally he says, you know what? Joseph, I'm going to make you the overseer of everything that I have, all of my finances, everything I have. You are the overseer because, man, you're good at this management thing. Man, you have skills, dude. And so he makes him the manager of everything that he has. It's working out great. Potiphar is being blessed. 
blessings are being poured out upon him. There's only one problem. Potiphar's wife has the hots for Joseph. She continues to keep making advancements to Joseph. I want to sleep with you. Joseph, he's a young, handsome man and strong. And I want to to have you. Joseph keeps denying her. And that one day, all of a sudden, he finds himself in Potiphar's house. And there's no other workers there. He gets, all of a sudden, he gets entrapped at Potiphar's house with just Potiphar's wife. And she makes a full-on advancement, man. She is not taking a no for an answer today. She's going to, this is the Bible. Bible's filled with good stories. You need to start trying to read it once in a while. I mean, stop the, you know, stop the, what is it, soap opera. Stop the soap operas. Man, just read your word. He gets in the house and she grabs a hold of his coat. Sleep with me. What does Joseph do? He runs. In fact, he just leaves his coat and he just takes off running out of the house. He flees from that sexual temptation because he knows not only he's not going to glorify Potiphar, who was his master, physical master here on earth, but it's not going to glorify his heavenly master, God, if he does the wrong thing. So he chooses righteousness. And the only way he can do it because he knows the temptation is real, he had to flee. He had to run out of that environment. Some of you need to get out of the environment that you put yourselves in. Don't put yourself in an environment where it's going to cause you to sin. Joseph's decision was costly. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. Can I remind you today, sometimes doing the right thing is costly. Sometimes integrity is costly. It can cost you friendships, your reputation, cost Joseph his reputation. It can even cost you your career. But that's sometimes what integrity is about. Remember, wisdom is knowing the right path to take. Integrity is taking it. I close with this last scripture in this chapter that we've already read, but I just close with it today. It's what we kind of began with. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? I want you just to think about that. The Holy Spirit lives in you right now. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, God's Spirit rests in you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Contrary to what culture declares, as followers of Jesus, your body is not your own. It belongs to God. You are a steward of God's body, of the body he's given you. Now Paul's words do not apply to someone who has not chosen to follow Jesus Christ. These words are because they know no better. So we cannot go out and take God's word and try to apply it to someone who does not follow Jesus. These words apply to us as believers. Today I encourage you as we close to remember, to remember that your body is not your own. So let's use our body to glorify God in all that we do. Amen? Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful, it's effective, and it changes lives. 
as we prepare for communion today, God, I just pray that for each and every one of us that we'll just take a moment to reflect in our own lives, in our own hearts, to make sure that in every area of our life, every area, every hint of our life, Lord God, has been surrendered to you. God, I pray that if there's any wrong in us, if we're if we've, which we know there is, but Lord, if we have, as a believer, if we have committed those sins, if we've committed those wrongs, I pray if we just take a moment right now, we just ask for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your word says, Lord, that we can come to you with anything. And if we ask in your name, Lord God, you are faithful and just to forgive us. So Lord, we ask for your forgiveness today as the body of Christ for those things that maybe we've done wrong, for those things that maybe are not glorifying to you. We pray, God, right now that your grace would flood over us, that your forgiveness would come upon us. And God, that we, Lord God, our mind, our heart, Lord God, would turn away from wickedness and from sin. And Lord God, that we would turn and choose to follow you in every area of our life. Today we ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I need a, I forgot to bring one of the communion cups up. Could someone grab one and bring it up to me today? You have communion cups in front of you. They're in your seats or in between your seats. If you're watching us online, we encourage you to grab some elements, some uh, juice, some bread. We're going to take communion today. As I just shared, I was taking, we don't talk about this a lot, but we should talk about it more. The Bible says, Paul says that we should examine ourselves before we take communion. We should ask, Lord, is there anything in me that is wrong? And before we just go and dive into communion, we should take that moment and just pray and ask, God, forgive me of those sins. Forgive me of those wrongs. That's why I just took a moment and asked, you know what? If there's something, let's ask for God's forgiveness before we partake in the body of Christ. Amen? 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's grace. There is nothing, there is no sin. If you're watching this online, if you're here today, there is no sin that you've ever committed that God can't forgive. It's just choosing to say no to sin and yes to God. It's choosing to say, you know what, I'm done with that. Lord, I'm following after you. It doesn't mean that you might not make a mistake in the future, but God's grace is there to pick you back up and say, get on your way. Kind of like little Vinny, I got to watch my grandson this morning because Annette was up in Seattle. And man, he starts running. He's so fast. He, his head is two feet above his feet. I mean, he's running at a slant. He always looks like he's about ready to fall down. And every once in a while, boom, he falls down. And you just pick him back up. Come on, let's keep going. That's how it is. When we're falling after Christ, sometimes we might fall. But you know what? God's hand is there to pick you back up and say, let's keep going again. Come on. And we get stronger. And we get better. And we get faster. We get our balance more. God starts to do wonderful things. Will you take the bread with me today? On the bottom, you can open that up and you'll see a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ. The body of Jesus, his flesh was torn, it was broken for you and for me. As we take communion today, I want to remind you that your brokenness is made whole through Jesus Christ. You might enter your relationship with Jesus broken,
but he's the one, guess what, that makes all things right. So if you want to find wholeness, you can find wholeness through your relationship with Jesus Christ. I am grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. Are you grateful? Lord, we take the bread today and we say thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for allowing your body to be beaten and whipped, spat upon. The humility that you took on because, Lord God, you wanted us to find wholeness. We are grateful today. And God, we take this bread and we honor you today. In Jesus' name, will you partake? If you open the cup, we hold in our hands something that represents the blood of Jesus. It's just juice. But Jesus, on the, the last day before his crucifixion, he met with his disciples and said, gather together and continue to gather together and remember what I have done for you. The reason it's so important that we remember is that the blood represents a new covenant. The old covenant was one that never really took away our sins. It just appeased our God for the sins that we made. The new covenant the covenant of grace that is found through Jesus Christ is once and for all the redemption for our sins. It's the forgiveness of our sins. He has paid the price. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we enter into a new covenant. No longer a covenant of law. It's a covenant of relationship with Jesus. Amen. I am grateful for the sacrifice Jesus made for me and for you. Today, we're going to take this communion cup. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made. We take this in honor of you, in Jesus' name. Stand with me today as we continue to worship the Lord. We love you guys. More importantly, God loves you. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.